Ross King and, and Stacy King have um, been ministering to many over uh, decades now, and I say that because um, I, I remember in back in the '90s, and and so we just we love dating ourselves. It's it's fun, but yeah, the glorious '90s. And but one of the things that that I was blessed with in the '90s was. Um, a ministry that had, had gotten started down at AM called Breakaway. And even though I wasn't uh, an Aggie, and, and I'm okay with that and still doing okay in life, even though I'm not an Aggie. Yeah, well, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe that, I don't know. Um, but we would, we would drive from Dallas, and, and we'd go. And, and, man, one of the reasons we went down there was just because, uh, one, what God was doing, it was just cool to experience what God was doing, but it was, it was also just to sit under the ministry uh, of Breakaway, and that included Ross and Stacy and, and their worship leading, and, and we were just so blessed by that. I remember uh, having CDs. I, I still have CDs of, of Ross and, and, and still listen to him. I, I still listen to you. Just, yeah, I just want to give you that. So anyway, but, um, and then was blessed also. I, I was remembering just at, when we were uh, getting Ross to come out here to join us, uh, Ross did a retreat for us um, way back in the day, I remember hanging out with, with you guys at a little restaurant in Van, Texas. I don't know if you remember that. Um, we did a retreat in, in, at Sky Ranch and just been blessed continually. And one of the things I was saying to one of our members just a little bit ago, it, it's, it's been so just amazing to see God's favor upon Ross and Stacy, and just the steadfastness of, of, of their lives and their hearts for Jesus and, and how God has just used them in an amazing way just over the decades um, through through music and and just uh, their ministry and and so um, it's a blessing to have of them here with us this morning and so Ross before we get chatting and talking you want to share a little bit about your family and and just that's me am I okay okay um, Stacy my wife we've been married for 21 years as of two days ago um, yeah thanks we celebrated it by basically working together which we don't get to do very often uh, and we had a date. Um, but um, we have four children. They are adopted. Um, I don't tell you that other than to say that, that there's a, a way that we live that's a little different sometimes because of that. We were actually this weekend, we're doing a music for our conference. We, we did some speaking and music for our conference. It's an adoption conference. Um, and we uh, lived in Texas in Bryan College Station for most of our marriage until four, four years ago and moved to Nashville where I do a lot of songwriting and stuff. Um, do you mean to go into the other stuff, or are we going to oh, wait? That's good, man. So, what are you, so you cool if I just kind of go? Set yeah, you this do your up, deal. Yeah, yeah. Set, yeah. set this up and just yes, kind of you come yeah. in. And I'll, I'll spike it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. You're following me there. That's yeah. good. I'm sorry. So I'm not, I know about sports ball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things that we we, we want to do here and like to do here is 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 to share stories, and and some of you guys have been part of the storytelling, and we also like to have conversations with, with different people about different topics, and, and one of the things that I, I had heard that, that Ross was communicating, and, and just from just his own life experience, was, was with the topic of, of depression and anxiety, and just um, knowing Ross and his music, and, and you know, especially some of the, his latest songs that have come out, and he's going to share some of those with us that this morning, is just... You know, Ross has always just been real and raw, and he's he's been different than most Christian musicians over the the decades, <laughs> honestly. Um, and that's one of the things I've appreciated about him is is that you know he he 
he ministers from just a, a pure heart and a loving heart that um, I've always appreciated. And, and so when I started hearing these songs, I thought, man, this, wow. And um, it, it got me thinking about some things, and we wanted to have him come out and, and share. And, and it reminds me of, of some different places in Scripture this morning. One, one of my favorites is, is with Elijah, and he's one of my favorite prophets. And the prophets are always real and raw. I mean, they're always doing things that make you scratch your head and go, wow, can you do that? And Elijah was one of those guys, you know, he had this one of these mountaintop experiences as the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 and, 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 and are challenging him to basically say, okay, who is the real God? You know, is it, is it Elijah's God or is it, or is it the prophets of Baal's God? And, 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 and God of heaven shows up that day in an amazing way and, and shows that, yes, I am the Lord and there is no other and uh, so Elijah, you know, basically wins, you know, he's like, yeah. But then after that, it seems like everything starts becoming bad in his life and, and, and almost unraveling to where he even says in 1 Kings 19, you know, God, I just want to die. I just want to die. And, and I wonder sometimes in, in life, you know, we go through these highs and, and we think, well, this is now going to mean this is going to happen, or, or this is going to come, or, or this is what's going to happen next. God's going to do this. And, and maybe when it doesn't happen, when that disappointment hits, we go into those low spots. And, and we know after that that God met Elijah on the mountain and ministered to him there in, 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 in an amazing way. And um, God met him there. Um, in the Psalm 42, we, we were familiar with the text that says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. And in this moment, the psalmist says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's struggling. He's in sorrow and grief. And he says, while they say to me all day, where is your God? And, and maybe we've been in those places in life where we've wondered, God, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen? And, and we don't know why. Um, he also says, why are you in despair, O my soul? As he's talking to himself, preaching to himself, he's sharing that he is sunk down low. And he says, why have you become disturbed within me? He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And so there are those times in life where we, it's a struggle to put a foot in front of the other. It's, it's a struggle to get up in the morning, and, and the Bible speaks of that. And so what do we do? And we see the psalmist preaching to himself, hoping God, hoping God. His presence is with me even in the midst of this, this battle and this struggle I'm going through. And so as beings in here have been created by God with, with body, soul, spirit, and mind, that we, we all deal with these to one degree or another. And, and Ross has dealt with that, and Ross is communicating about that. And so this morning, we just wanted to have an honest just conversation. And, and, and Ross, I know um, this really hit you a few years back, and, and, and I know you want to share a little bit about that this morning. So I would not have been a person growing up who would have understood what a term like depression or anxiety really meant. I would hear those terms and think, depression, that means someone's been sad, they're sad. Anxiety means maybe they're nervous, you know. Um, and and I, it wasn't like I was trying to, I was insensitive. I just didn't know. And seven years ago, uh, my dad was fishing down at the coast with my brother and some friends, and he drowned. And it was a very sudden, you know, we get a call in the, in the, sort of in the middle of the night. And, you know, I have to get in my car and drive to my mom's house to tell her, you know, because my brother doesn't want to call her and, you know, and it's over the phone and tell her this. So, I, so that, that sort of began like a new, a, a new chapter of my life. And um, what happened for me was, you know, there are people who, uh, 
I want to be really clear that grief and depression aren't the same thing. But there are, um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. I've just been to a lot of counseling and I've, I've read a good bit and I, and I just, that's really kind of my authority today is not to, to give you something diagnostic and, and pro, it's to share this story together, right? And to maybe invite us to share this story. But, but there, there's a lot, of, a lot of evidence in that world that people can, can function in a very sort of middle place psychologically or, or in, emotionally by simply coping. You know, they go to church, they, they exercise, they, they do certain uh, r- routines, they have friendships, whatever, and, and they cope and keep things kind of in like a middle place. But the trauma or stressors can spike us out of those middle places to suddenly we're like all over the this thing, you know? And I, so I had that. I had essentially like a seasonal kind of a something happened. I was left without my dad. I suddenly felt like I was in charge of my mom, felt like I was responsible for my whole family. My, my brother was in the midst of, a, of, a, of a, a marriage falling apart. And I just, wait, I'm in charge. I have to be in charge of the family. And, and I, just, I just collapsed into depression. So that started a journey for me of wanting to, well, one, I was trying to get better. And so about for about four or five years in our marriage and in, just in our life and ministry, I just felt kind of powerless and no good at things and constantly asking myself, why aren't you better, Ross? What's wrong with you? Feeling a lot of shame. And so as a songwriter, and, I, you know, I, it's funny because I don't like to believe in things like, you know, midlife crises and stuff because some of that's just like the world telling us what, what, what should happen to us. But I, I turned 40, you know, like in February of that year, I signed a publishing deal with a Christian music publisher thinking my life was going to change. A new, I had a new career in April, May, my dad drowns. And by June or July of that year, we were kind of broke. And so I just kind of had this collapse, you know? And so I just started trying to write into that because all, 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 all I knew to do was to write music into it. It's all I had, you know? I wasn't, I didn't, I was going to counseling. I was doing some other things. But I just thought, well, I better write about this because it's, it's where I am. So I began to write about it. And one of the first things I bumped into in all, in all of that was this idea of shame. And so let, let me back up a little bit and say, and, and, and say this, that um, the church knows how to help you when someone dies in your life. They don't, I'm not saying they make it better or they make it right, but they know how. That we've, we've been told how to do it. We have all kinds of things in place. They, they're, they're learning how to help you in divorce. They're learning how to help you in some other things. But there is one kind of grief that we're just now learning how to deal with. And it's what I call the death of the life you thought you would have. All right? And we just, I sort of discovered this because Stacey and I were in, were in the car one day. Uh, it was a good year or a year and a half after my dad had passed away. And I just started crying in, in the car for no reason. and Or no reason that deserved crying. And... She was trying to just minister to me and, and bless her heart for dealing with me through all those years of just being feeling so off. And she said, you know, I'm not sure you've ever really grieved the loss of your dad because you're, you're so consumed with, with having to grieve the life that's gone that you thought you would have, you know. And she wasn't saying I was being selfish. She was saying you haven't had time to, to grieve your dad because you're too busy trying to sort of reorder your life in ways that weren't expected. And everyone in this room at least people who are over the age of 10, have had a death of the life that you thought you would have. And I'm here to sort of just say in front of the whole church, be looking for that in others because they don't know how to tell you that they're having it and you don't know how to to talk about it probably and we don't have mechanisms in place for you to do that, right? So 
after the hard thing happens in someone's life, we, we do some stuff to help them, and then we go back to regular life. But they may not be done grieving the life that they thought they would have. You may not be. So just that is, a, that is something that's happening, and some of you right now it's happening. And when this service is over, I want you to text someone or email someone or go up to someone and say, that what the guy said, I'm in the midst of that grief. I don't know what to do. All right? So that's just free. I want you to think about that. Mm-hmm. But most of this stuff makes us feel shame because we're part of the church, and the church is really good at um, taking these specific kinds of things like grief and shame and depression and whatever and putting them into a little silo, a little other room, and saying, we have this, we have this ministry that's just, just for that. It meets on Tuesdays. All the people who feel like that can show up on Tuesdays and do that. But the, what's, what's not quite right about that is some of you don't want to come on Tuesday. You're not even sure that's who you are. You come, on the, you come, you come here. And so what I'm trying to do is, is, is bring this conversation into, into this room. Mm-hmm. And many of you, your first feelings about that, the reasons why you won't go to the Tuesday meeting or whatever it is, is because you feel shame. And I, and I want to tell you briefly, just because I think the Bible has answers to some of this stuff, I'm not that guy that tells you the Bible can fix everything. That's a very insensitive way to approach people's problems. But I will tell you, it, there's a lot in there that heals and that can heal. And, and I'll tell you a couple things. The way we deal with shame is this. We are Zacchaeus. We find a tree to go, to go hide in, and we hope the Lord will pass by under the tree. And maybe just because he's Jesus, he will somehow emanate and sort of we can glean something from his Jesusness, and we'll be better. And, oh, I pray he doesn't notice that I'm up here. I just pray his power makes me better. We are this woman in Mark 5 who is bleeding in a very embarrassing way that I won't talk about here, and, and she goes and finds Jesus in a crowd while he's in the midst of doing something else. He's on his way to go heal somebody, mm. by, by the way. It's a big day for him. He's going to heal somebody who's almost dead. And on his way to do that, a woman comes up behind him in a crowd and touches his clothes, and she runs off. That's us. That's how we deal. That, that's, how, that's how we deal with shame. Lord, I'm going to try to just touch you. I'm going to be in a tree hiding. Maybe you will help me. Please don't deal with me. But here's what Jesus does. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I know that you're a cheater. I know that you steal money from people. I know that you're kind of considered like a traitor to all your people. I also know, he didn't say it, I also know that you, your whole life you've been really, really short. People are writing songs about how short you are. <laughs> you probably want to get back at them for that, so you, so you overtax them. I'm going to go to your house. And he's like, oh, no, my house, that's where I hide all the money that I steal. Whatever, I'm going to your house. He deals with shame by saying, I'm aware of what you did and who you are. I still want to be with you. He, he says in that crowd, wait, wait, hold on, someone touched me. Someone touched me. And his disciples are all like, yeah, it's a crowded street. Of course, someone, t- someone touched you. He's like, no, no, some power left me, which is super cool and really science fiction-y, right? And he turns around and goes and finds this woman who has now run away, and he says, uh, basically, I was going to fall down. He says, that would have been so awesome. Um, he says, I see you. I know you have this problem. Now you're healed. I, I want to be with you. All right? So that's his way of dealing with your shame. Okay? And, and when I came to that conclusion, I just wanted, I just wanted to, to write a song about it. So I'll share the song with, with you. But, but, but I want to say that this was me starting to want to write about depression. This was about five years ago, but not knowing how. So I didn't use the words. I used words like shame and heavy, and and, and you'll hear those words in the song. I was so wanting the Lord to um, fix me, and I didn't want to deal with him. There's something heavy. I've been dragging it around behind me. 
Every labored step and movement, it reminds me that I cannot escape and I want to give up. Give in, pretend this cell I'm in is freedom. Oh, keep my head down, don't give you a reason to look my way. I'm too afraid to meet your eyes, to speak your name. I'm scared that I'll be held in chains, bound in lies forever. And I long to hear a sound like something metal being shattered. Oh, shame is a chain, love is a hammer. Some days I want to find you in a crowd and sneak up right behind you. Maybe touch your clothes and steal some power from you and sneak away again. And some days I'd rather hide out in a tree that you were walking under. Oh, and pray that you don't say you're coming over, because I don't want to let you in. Oh, but you don't wait to be invited. You're kicking down my door with violent mercy and completely taking over. And I swear I hear a sound like something metal being shattered. Oh, shame is a chain, love is a hammer. If anyone can understand, it's you. Cause on your feet and hands, the proof of what you did and how you suffered. When the nails went in, the sound of sin forever being shattered. Oh, shame is a chain, love is a hammer. Oh, shame is a chain. Love is a hammer. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. And so we're going to do this a, a few times this morning where we talked about some things, and then Ross is going to get up and sing about it. And, you know, I, I, we talked about this a little bit this week. Um, Ross and I were actually on the phone Tuesday at my house, and I happened to be in the dining room, which was kind of a, a weird setup for me at 3.30 in the afternoon. And I start hearing this little rustling at the door, and I thought somebody was dropping a, 
like a package off or maybe putting a, you know, a, a landscape business car on my door handle. Um, the, or if somebody wanted to clean my house or moment, you know, you know, you get those at the front door. So I thought that's, that was it. But something in me said, no, that's not it. You need to answer the door. And I answered the door and it was, it was two kids from down the street that we knew, that we know in, in middle school. And, and, um, uh, Angelina looked at me and she said, Hey, my mom wanted me to come get you. Um, our dad's not well, our dad's not well. Will you, will you come down to the house? And, I, everything in me just sunk. At, we've, we've prayed for Dan. Dan's been in our congregation before, Dan Afsek, and, and I just kind of in my head thought, oh my goodness, Dan's not doing well. Well, Dan hadn't been doing well for like seven plus years with cancer, and Dan's story is he always rallies back. He always comes back <laughs> from those near-death experiences as he's been battling this, and I remember jumping in the car, driving down there, and, and getting there, and, and when I walked into the bedroom, knowing I don't think Dan's coming back from this one, and just everything in that room just was um, just just so beyond anything. Everything in me was like, okay, Lord, what do I say, and what do I do in this moment? Um, it doesn't matter how much training you have, how much you know, times you go through those experiences through life, you just sit there and go, Lord, what do I do? And, and then all of a sudden, his, his wife looked at me and said, Jerry, what do I do? Um, as, as Dan is struggling to breathe and Dan is going in and out of consciousness and everything that death brings in those final moments was, was coming hard and rough and, and just tough. And I remember her just looking at me and saying, hey, what do I do? What, what am I going to do? And, you know, I just remember there was, there was a, a, a spirit saying to me something that I heard years and years ago that there are those times we don't know what to say and and we don't know the answer. But the only thing we can just do is, as the people of God is just point people to Jesus. <laughs> that's, what, that's it. And I just remember just saying, hey, I, I don't know what to tell you, but all I can tell you is just right now, you just need to let Jesus hold you. And later that night, after Dan did pass away, and um, I remember her standing out front on the sidewalk looking at me and saying, what do I do now? Like, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. And she said, you know, I, I thought he'd, he'd, he'd rally again. I thought he'd come back, and I thought we'd have more days, and I thought there would be more this and more that. And, and, and there's, there's not now. There's not. And um, I know, Ross, just, just the song you just sang and, and songs you have have been speaking to that, and, and you've mentioned that, the fear of, yeah. of losing that life. That Right. And yeah. let me just say just briefly that, like, that, ministry that you just sort of had a window into. For some of you, if you live in proximity to Jerry and his family or in proximity to Dan's family, that's maybe your ministry now, at least for a little bit, or at least consider maybe prayerfully that that's something you need to be doing, because that level of trauma in that family right now is is extreme. And you have other, I know you have trauma like that in within your body too, so I'm not saying divert attention from people that you're, I'm saying just be aware that kind of trauma is a big deal. Um, and speaking, you know, talking about a life, the death of a life I thought they'd have, in addition to this tragic death of this man, Dan, who is created in the image of God and a father of some children and a husband to a wife, there's also, they all, that family all had a life they thought they were going to have, they hoped they'd have before this, this diagnosis and certainly before this death. So just, just something to be, to be aware of. I know a lot, a lot, a lot of you are. Um, but, but here's, one of the things that's, as I have, um, 
I, I released a song that I'll play in here in a little bit uh, that's really dealt openly with depression and anxiety. And so I get a lot of questions now when I do stuff like this or I do podcast interviews. I'll get questions, people saying, what do you tell someone who's deep in the midst of this? Depression or grief or something they cannot shake. And at first I was like, oh, no, I, this is a question for like a therapist. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm in public and I have to answer this and I don't have an answer. So at first I just simply said, tell them not to quit. <laughs> Jesus isn't quitting on, on, on them. Don't quit. And I, and I believe that. <clears throat> and I also say now, find stories bigger than your story. And I don't just mean the Jesus story. I mean stories of the people around you and get in those stories because you, your, your life and your, your calling and your existence is a, should be and is an, a vital part of those stories. And the Lord can use you to do something great. In the midst of your brokenness, you think you're too broken to help. You can help and it can be healing. And the third thing that, that I, I would say is I think we need a radical, some of us need a radical shift not even shift, a, a, a radical, radical addition to the way we see the gospel story. And I'll explain this as easily as I, as I can. I've been in church, Jason, I've been in church our whole lives. So from like birth, I heard, if you sin, you repent, come to Jesus, he forgives you. That's why he went to the cross, to take care of your sin. That's true, very true. And when, and when he came back from death, he was proving that you can rise above the sin, you can leave sin in the grave. All that's true. But as a 47-year-old man who's been in church my whole life, if I'm honest with you, emotionally, I'm over it, probably. I, don't, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be, but I can kind of get, get over it. And what's, what's been huge for me in re-engaging that beautiful story is this. Yes, he beat sin in that moment, but he also did this. He knew there was one thing all of us feared, death. We all fear it. We all hate it. We all grieve it. And so, so, so what he did was, in full knowledge of that, knowing that we all feared it, he said, all right, I'll go beat it. And then you don't have to fear it. It's still real. It's still very sad. And, and, and we know he thinks it's sad because when his good friend Lazarus died, you know, he, he, he kind of lets him die, which is a weird whole other thing. It says he waited. But anyway, when he gets, you know, gets to that place where, where Lazarus has died, Martha's super mad at him uh, about it because she's like, you could have healed him, you know. And they, they have an exchange. It's very interesting. But he ends up going to the grave to bring him back. In a moment, he's going to bring him back. This guy's going to come out of the grave and be alive again. What does he do? He cries. So we know that Jesus understands how sad death is. We know that he gets it, all right? Because even when he's going to bring a guy back in a minute, he, he knows that death is worthy of tears. So you, so you grieving, you crying over hard things is biblical, okay? Your sadness is not a sin. Your grief is not a sin. And here's how Jesus de- de- dealt with it. Not, he didn't just bring his friend back and say, I, I can beat it when my friend dies. He himself took it upon himself, allowed himself to be killed, faced it, looked it dead in the eyes, and said, death, no more. You don't win. I win. And I needed this radical sort of addition to my gospel. It was there. I just hadn't, I was thinking only about sin, right? Which, again, matters a lot. But in this world of chaos and conflict and everybody mad at each other on Facebook and, every, and all kinds of violence in the world, man, it's good news to me that Jesus both knows how big, a deal is, how big a deal death is and cries about it and faced it and beat it, right? So I would encourage you to begin to pray and study and talk about and meditate on Jesus, the death defeater, in addition to Jesus, the the, you know, our sin, propitiation, all that theological stuff, you know, he also conquered death completely. It still occurs in this world in a physical way, 
but he's but he but he beat it. We don't have to fear it, right? Um, so I want to set up another another thing I'm, I'm, I'd like to sing for you, and it's kind of about that same deal. I, I I one of the most comforting parts of my journey through this stuff was I started to see stories, and I've already shared a couple of them with you, where Jesus did something I just kind of forgot he did, or I saw it in in, in in a brand new way. One of those was this this Lazarus moment, which I think is just so, so, so powerful. And that's how he dealt with grief, right? And and so I love that in that moment of crying for, for Lazarus, he's kind of saying to us, hey, you don't have to tell people that it gets better when they're in the middle of crying. You, you can, and it's okay. They know it, but let them cry. You know, I think that, that, was, that was really powerful. That's how he dealt with his grief. He really laid, he leaned into his grief. And then you have this thing in John 2 where he goes in the temple, people are selling stuff, he knows their hearts, and he's angry. He does this very, very uncomfortable sort of off-putting, disconcerting thing where he makes a whip, and it's really not an easy, not an easy passage to preach, you know? But, it's, but he's angry. He's clearly angry. So we know anger isn't a sin because Jesus got, got mad. Um, and, we, and we know that somehow in all that anger he did there, he didn't sin because we know he didn't sin. And then you got Luke 22. Jesus is praying just before he dies, before he goes to the, the cross. And he's so, I'm going to say stressed out. Maybe that's the wrong word. But he's so intensely, uh, his emotions are so intense that he bleeds through his pores. And what I love about this passage is when, when you're really stressed and whatever people tell you, go pray about it. Jesus was praying about it. And it, he was still so stressed he bled from his pores. So you can still pray about it and you should. But just know that there's, there's sometimes there's things going on that are bigger. And I loved that I see this Savior of mine who deals with these emotions in these very intense ways, the way, the way that I did. And so I wanted to write something that, that kind of said, hey, he gets it, right? So I'll play that for you now. If sadness was a sin, Jesus never would have cried. That's exactly what he did when his good friend Lazarus died. And he knew he would raise him up. And still the Lord was sad enough to grieve. If heartache was a crime, consider Jesus in the garden. When he knew it was his time and there was no better option. And he had to take that cup. Stressed him out so much it made him bleed. If you've ever been so overwhelmed that you can barely breathe, my friend, you're in good company. so wrong. How about Jesus in the temple? It doesn't sound like he was calm when he was knocking over tables. And we know his heart was perfect, so there must have been some purpose for it all. If you've ever gotten mad at all the
will not let you go. Every tear that you have cried, every trial you have known, he's known it too. In the darkness, you are not alone. There is a presence that will not let you go. Every tear that you have cried, every trial you have known, he's Defending your own honor, fighting for your rights are really so important. How come Jesus gave his life to pay for our salvation? Let a bunch of fools portray him as a criminal. If you That's one of the things I, I just wrote down in my notes this week was, was the phrase to that song that in the darkness, you're not alone. There's a presence that will not let you go. Every tear you've cried, every trial you've known, he's, he's known it too. I mean, there's, I don't know if there's a, honestly a better line that's ever been written. Ross, no. <laughs> it's I mean, funny. No, I, I really, I'm I mean, really the, so appreciative. The truth to that mm. is just astounding and amazing. And I mean, if, I mean, it just, Man, it, 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 we are in good company, mm. and, and praise the Lord for that. It's funny because just a little insider songwriter talk. I when I wrote that song, that's that was the line I thought was kind of simple mm. and sort of mm. maybe a little bit beneath the song. And I struggled to to think. Well, you know, I felt like I was working on something very profound that felt profound to me. You know, um, I don't always feel that way. A lot of times I think this is just okay, but that felt profound to me. <laughs> and then. That line was like, ah, oh, it's just kind of silly, you know, it's just kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think I was just, it, it, there's a desire among artistic people to be always be really smart. And sometimes <laughs> it's important for us to just be really human, yeah. you know. And well, so That's an interesting yeah. statement with today's music out there because a lot of <laughs> stuff out there is not very smart. Well, there's that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, one man's smart <laughs> is another man's moron. So. <laughs> Did you say moron? <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I love that. Um, you know, uh, Ross, I, I know we've, we've talked a lot about fear and shame, you know, a lot of that. And I know, um, you know, just talking about what, what Christ has done 
uh, for us through his, his death and through the resurrection and, and the hope that brings for us, you know, not just for, for heaven in the future, but uh, for now. And, and um, you know, uh, if we're all honest, we, we want heaven here and now. We, we, we would all, you know, love to just want that now and, and, and go there now. Um, but one of the things, I love what you said earlier, one of the things that, that I was reading this week too was, you know, the Apostle Paul wanted that. You know, he, he said, uh, for me to live is, is Christ and death is gain. He said in another place, you know, it, uh, I would rather be with, with Christ now. But, but one thing I love what he said in Philippians 1.24, he, he said that, but for your sakes, I'm going to, to stay here. And, and I just love, one of the things I, I love about the church and, um, and the, the community of the body of Christ is that, you know, God has us here for each other for the times and the seasons and the things that we go through to, to be there for each other and to lean on each other as we do wait for heaven, uh, but that we're to um, be there to help meet the needs of others and to care for them and walk with them through, through those journeys. And, and I know that, man, that's, that's your heart, that's, yeah. that's your music, and, and, and that's how you see your ministry as well, even, yeah. even what God has you in right now. So. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that I'm almost exclusively talking about this when I do concerts. And it's a very vulnerable, it's just me saying that I, that I felt really low for a while. It's not even like I'm bragging about something. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. actually like, you know, in some ways I'm, I'm sharing one of the most embarrassing or potentially embarrassing parts of my life. Um, and that's just the lie of the in, in, enemy, you know. Uh, obviously us sharing is, is good. But, you know, it's, it's, it's God himself up in heaven doing his work doesn't need us. But, man, the church does. Amen. Okay? So... And, and it's good news, God. Is God doesn't need us, right? Because I mean, that would that would it'd be all on on, on on us to do everything, right? But the church, the people are, are around you, you know, I, I say this all the time when I'm leading worship that you being out there singing and being a part of this is is actually you know you've heard that phrase sharing your faith. We all grew up hearing that phrase, and it meant tell people how to get to heaven, right? That is true, but also this is sharing your faith. Okay, you get in here, maybe you're feeling very strong this week. You get up and sing the song loudly, boldly. I mean, there was a, some folks throughout the, 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 the room today who, as they were singing, and I noticed them just getting into it, I just was like so emboldened mm-hmm. to sing more. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and you can come here really broken and receive from that, and your brokenness might actually speak to someone. That's, yeah. that's the crazy part of this. Um, as I was, I, I know we, we, we want to be getting close to the end because we're going to do communion here in a, in a bit. But, yeah, um, if you want to. That's fine. I, I love communion. I'm I'm for, I'm, I'm pro communion. Um, uh, I I um I, I want to tell you kind of this sort of the end of the or not the end but the current end of this story where I've come from. You know I I kind of see the love is a hammer song I played with you in the good company and the song I'm about to play for you in a minute as kind of the three step process of how I've so far gotten gotten through this. Um, and so as I was starting to feel like I was getting better. In, in the depression, and let, let me be clear that I went to counseling, I took some medication, not telling, telling you should do, I'm just saying I did all those things that, that are like the things that, the medical stuff, you know, um, I did pray, I did read the Bible, I did talk to Christian <clears throat> friends, I did go to church, but I also did some of this other stuff, that was part of my journey. As I started to get, to get better, I found myself redrawn to Psalm 23, okay? And this, I love this because it's so simple. Everybody, even people who don't go to church, know about Psalm 
Psalm, Psalm 23. Um, and I have this thing where um, part of my personality is I'm drawn to verses that are weird, and I want to, like, dig in and figure out why they're so weird to me. And one of those I referenced earlier is John chapter 11, where Lazarus is dying, and there's this really crazy verse that, that says, Lazarus was a great friend of Jesus, and he was very, very sick, and so Jesus waited, right? And it's like, wait, why? So he, that must be wrong. You know, he, he, he must have meant, but he waited, you know? But it's this weird thing. And I remember, like, digging into that forever and being like, oh, he was trying to create a moment where the most glory to God could happen, the most power, whatever, right? Well, another verse like that is the beginning, beginning of Psalm 23. And it says, the Lord's my shepherd, and I'm not going to want. He makes me lie down, Okay? And I've looked in all the translations, all the modern, all the whatever, and they all say basically the same thing, that he makes me do it. So I just started thinking, I wonder if that spirit, if that mood permeates the whole deal. So I don't want to lie down. I want to I fix things. I want to get things done. I want to reach and clutch and grab for stuff that will make things better, that will move my thing forward, right? Not a bad thing, but I'm always trying to do something, either with, with my mind or with my body. My, I want to get something done. I want to fix things. Jesus says, lie down. I'm going to force you, Okay. Then he says, I'm going to take you by this stream that's quiet. I'm going to show you what peace is like. You, you, you probably don't want to hear this, Ross, but that's what peace is like, that stream there. Now I'm going to take you to a really hard place. I'm going to take you through the valley of the shadow of death, which sounds awful. It's not just death. It's not just shadows. It's shadows of death. It's really dark. And, he, and we go, and he takes me through it. And the only reason why I'm comforted, the only reason why I'm remotely okay, is it says he has this, this rod in, in his hand, probably the same rod he used to make me lie down right? Honestly, you know, he, he, he took it easy on me. He just sort of pushed me down. If he, if he went to town with, some, with, with, with that rod on, on, on somebody, I know that it would do damage. So I have a little comfort going through that, through that valley. Then maybe my favorite part of the whole deal, he makes a meal for me in front of everybody that hates me and wants to destroy me, in front of demons, in front of any enemy that I have. He makes a meal. And it's sort of like this idea of like if this whole, if these walls around us were all windows, and this room was a little, you know, we made a banquet here, and everyone who was against all of you came and stood at the windows and thought, I want to get in and hurt that, that, that person. And, and you can't, they can't get in. And, and, we're not, and we're not just protected and like, we're actually having a feast. It says, my cup runs over. So he's just pouring drinks, which is the ultimate picture of just taking it easy, right? And that's the kind of goodness and mercy that follows me all the days of my life. Now, that doesn't heal my depression, but it sure helps to know that I have that kind of protection and that he's so serious about me getting better and feeling protected that, that he does all those things. And he even says, I mean, that, that verse about the, the meal in front of my enemies is really, really a complicated verse unless you just step back and say, wait, he just wants to invite them there so that they know they can't hurt me and I know they can't hurt, hurt, hurt me. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, actually, he actually makes the meal right in front of them. Mm. And I mean, I, right now, I, I get chills thinking about because I just, I'm so comforted knowing, and I'm not trying to imply we all have enemies as much as there is a plan, a very good, strategic, devious plan to ruin your life. Mm. And, and, and the Lord says, don't worry, we're, we're, we're going to have lunch in front of that. So just know the Lord is so, there's almost kind of a strange, he's not arrogant, he can't be arrogant because he's always is better than anything that we could think about him, but there's a confidence he has. He's so confident that, he, that, that he's got you. That he's, that he's doing this kind of like showy, I'm going to make a meal in front of everybody that, that wants to ruin your life. Mm. And ultimately, I, I, that, that all kind of was running through my head, and, and I realized I haven't yet talked about depression really because, you know, I, I, 
the love is a hammer, I'm, I say shame. You know, the, 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 the good company, I talk about grief and sadness and anger, right? But I was a little nervous about saying in a song for everyone to hear, you know, my dozens of fans would hear this song about how I was <laughs> depressed, right? And so that I was taking meds or whatever. But I just, everywhere I went, that I would share these songs about depression that didn't say anything about depression. And I would say, hey, this song I'm going to play for you now is about my depression, or if I was online and I was posting a song, hey, I want you to hear this song I wrote. It's about, about my depression. People who had heard it before I made that tie-in would come to me and say, I didn't know this was about that. I'm super interested in your story, you know? And I realized, oh, man, people are interested, you know? And, and if you look around on TV, in movies, in pop music of all places, there is talk of emotional health struggles, like blatant talk of it. The last people in town to talk about this are, are us. And I don't mean this down, I mean just sort of figuratively. We're the last, the church is the last folks to really deal, deal with this. So I had this sort of two, two-fold plan to sing about this great shepherd who takes me through my, my depression and anxiety journey forcefully and lovingly, and I'm going to speak boldly about my depression and anxiety. Not like I'm bold, I'm saying I'm going to just put it out there, you know? Um, and so uh, the, the message of that song, and, and I'll sing it here in a second, is, is simply this. We're all afraid of all kinds of things, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Like I said, death and everything else. We're afraid of being exposed for who we, <laughs> who we think we are and no one knows we are. All the stuff that, we're, that we fear, all that stuff is, is, is bowed before the Lord Jesus and cannot, cannot come in through the, th- through the glass as he makes a meal for me. None of that stuff can come in and ruin, and, and ruin my life. All that stuff is, he's actually scaring those things off, right? And, and so that, you know, again, I don't claim that that song or any song of mine is going to heal you, but I want you to take great comfort as I take great comfort in knowing that, that the Lord has this authority and power and goodness and love, and it's, and it's, and it's leaned in full bore mm. on his people mm. all the way. Mm. So let's sing a song for you, and then I think we'll probably do, do communion. Yeah.
my depression is affecting every ounce of me. I can get the medication and the counseling. Still, I can hear the fear calling out to me. And I don't feel brave, but I don't have to be. Cause I walk through the valley of shadows, and it scared me half to death. But you're with me everywhere I go. So I don't give up yet. My fear would surely kill me if I didn't know the truth. Just wait till they see who's standing behind me. I walked through the valley of shadows, and it scared me head to death. But show with me everywhere I go, so I don't give up yet. My fear would surely kill me if I didn't know the truth. Things that I'm afraid of are afraid. Ross and a man in that, I don't know, just comforting to your hearts to know that, that Christ is standing there when everything in this world is, is up against us or feels like it's coming up against us and, and, and when we're afraid, that, that Christ is right there with us. And it reminds me of um, the disciples in, in John chapter 14. Jesus has just told them that he is going to go away. Um, that he is going to depart and leave them. And, and, and you imagine what that must feel like for these, these 12 disciples who Jesus has walked with them and, and they've given up everything to follow him for these you know, three plus years. And, and Jesus breaks the news that, hey, I'm going away. I'm, I'm leaving. And everything that those disciples thought of, that man, they're going to set up this, this new kingdom here on earth and Jesus is going to you know, take out... Rome and all these kind of concepts that they had in their mind and, and everything that they thought was going to be um, in their minds was not. And the scripture tells us in John 14 that Jesus looked at his disciples and he told them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus saw that the turbulent waves in their heart and their emotions and, and everything they were feeling and everything that that was going on in their minds and their hearts in that moment because everything they dreamed of and everything they thought was going to happen was not going to happen the way they thought it was. Life wasn't going to be what they had dreamed it would be. And I love what Jesus tells them. He gives them the help they need. He gives them the healing to their heart and their turbulent waves and their hearts that they need in that moment. And, and he says to them these words. He says, believe in God. And he says, believe also in me. Believe also in me. 
Um, just simple words, but, but really what we need and where really the conversation has, has led us to today is that ultimately we need to rest and trust in the Savior Jesus Christ alone to help us through our struggles, our depression, our anxiety, our grief. Um, we need to rest and lean on him, let him hold us. And so if you're here today and, and maybe you're like, man, I, I have never had hope. <laughs> I've never had hope. We want you to hear the message today that you can have hope. You can have hope. And that's what Jesus was sharing with his disciples. That's what he came for was to give a hopeless world hope. Hope. And so Jesus went to a cross. You've heard it shared today. Um, he went to a cross and he died for us. So to be the bearer of our sin, but also to be the overcomer of our death that we all will face one day. If Jesus doesn't come back before then, we're going to face it. The thing that we're afraid of, Jesus came and, as Ross said, looked it in the eye and said, I've got the victory death. I won. And Paul said that. He said, thanks be to God for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and, and you don't know that victory, take Jesus' words that he shared with his disciples today and do what Jesus said to do. Believe in God. And Jesus said, believe also in me. Because the death of Jesus Christ on the cross came to give you hope. Came to give you hope. And so today, I want to invite you, believe. Believe in Christ. You're here today, and, and you're there, um, and you want to talk to someone. Maybe you're just like, you know what, I'd love to talk to somebody. We, one of our elders, and his wife, Joda, Greg, and Joda over there, and they'd love to talk with you, pray with you if you're there. They'd love as Ross sings and, and leads us in the time of communion, they'd love to meet and talk with you. There's others here. I'll be up here as well. We'd love to talk with you during this time. Or maybe after the service, you want to continue that conversation. We'd love to do that. Um, but we come now as a church to remember what Jesus has done for us. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, as we eat, as we drink, we remember the price that Christ paid for us to give us hope, to give us hope each day. And so let's... Come and let me just pray for us as we do. If 